and welcome to the Mailbox Rogues Gallery. My name's Sean. And my name's Birch. This is the show where every fortnight we pluck a figure from history and pop them in our metaphorical mailbox of rogues. We say this every fortnight. Is it a metaphorical mailbox? As opposed to an actual physical, literal mailbox. That we would put people in. Well, the original mailbox, as we discussed in the first episode, was real. Yes. And so is this one. And uh, it's getting quite full at the moment. Were we on episode 27, if I'm not mistaken? I don't know. I can't count. Yeah, okay. Well, just take my word for it that it is episode 27. So, yeah, it's getting pretty full. Reckon we can shove one more in there? Oh, I'm sure we could could get one more in there. Yeah, okay. Well, who are we going to stuff into the rogue box this week? Today, the person that we are going to be royally stuffing in the box is Bob Dylan. Dilbo. Dilbo Dobbins. Dilbo Saggins. Right, well, where should we start then? Well, we shall start in the beginning. (laughs) Not literally Genesis. No, that's probably a good point. Because there'll be a lot of that where we don't even mention him at all if we're going back that far. Yeah, well, there's like 6,000 years of history practically before you get to Dylan. Yeah, so, I mean, as as the subject of this this episode is Bob Dylan, it's probably best we don't go back that far. Okay, so let's start with maybe the early years of, of the man himself. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Young Bob Dylan, who was not born under the name Bob Dylan. No, he was Robert Zimmerframe. Not quite right. That's Robert Zimmerman, son of Robert Zimmerframe, the inventor of the Zimmerman. <laughs> that's right. Yep. Is that it? Have I got that no, mixed that's, up that, in my head or is that right? That's spot on. Uh, his dad, of course, famously uh, sold Zimmermans to lots of elderly people who needed... Uh, help moving about who weren't particularly mobile. Yeah, yeah. He'd named it half after himself and half after his intended demographic, a man. Well, that's right, yeah, because he just kind of saw his surname. It's just like, well, I can't use my surname Zimmerframe. He wasn't that much of a big head. Yeah, it's like, that's a bit on the nose, isn't it? What can I uh, What can I change it to? Oh, oh man. Ooh, Matt Zimmerman. That's yeah. it, yeah. And a lot of the money that Bob Dylan makes, it's not from his music career. It's the royalties that he gets from the Zimmerman Zimmer frame. Yeah, well, I think credit where credit's due, they just decided eventually... It was one of those cultural things that mm. people just started calling it after the person invented it. Yeah. Like a Ginster's pasty. Gerald Ginster. <laughs> named after Gerald Ginster. So where was he born? He was born in, like, uh, Minnesota or something? Duluth, Minnesota, that's oh, right. yes. I didn't even look that up. I just, I should actually say at the top, um, we're both really big Bob Dylan fans, aren't we? Oh. So this is probably the least amount of research we've had to do. In fact, I didn't do any research mm. into this episode at all. I just know everything about him. So I don't want to say we're, we're scholars on the subject. No. But uh, Dylanites, maybe is the word. Yeah, I mean, I'm a particular big fan of the Zimmer frame. No, sorry, so I was talking about Bob Dylan's music, not... The Zimmer frame. Oh, right. No, we. you're hung up on the previous generation. I'm, I'm going back to talking about our main man, Bob it, Dylan. Well, his son was all right, I suppose. Yeah, okay. So so I've, I've been listening to, appreciating, researching, or not in this case, our chosen subject, Bob Dylan. Hmm. And you've been researching his father, the man who invented the Zimmer frame. I mean, Bob's all right. I mean, he, he did fair play to him. He can, he can sing a tune or two. Well, not very well. <laughs> But, I mean, has has he made anything quite as uh, important for the elderly? No, I mean, I suppose I'd say about 99% of his work does not cater to the elderly at all. Hmm. In fact, he was something of a young upstart. That's true. In fact, he actually dropped out of college 
at the end of his first year. Uh, Moved to, to New York City with the uh, aspirations to become a, a musician. The city of apples. City of all of those apples. So, I mean, what's the, ending, what's the end of the story? Did he make it? Is he still out there busking? Well, you're the fan. I mean, you're going to have to tell me. I'm, I'm still... I, as far as I'm concerned, he's getting those Zimmer frame royalties. He did good. He did do good, actually. Yeah. 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 I asked my question as a kind of stand-in for the listener. As again, I suppose I should probably do it in my usual listener voice, which is... Did, did he make it? Is, is he famous now? Did he Did he make it? To which the answer is, yeah, he's pretty. he's pretty successful. And I mean, well, if that's the case... And he's been going for quite a few years, hasn't he? I imagine he can afford all the Zimmer frames and Zimmermans that he wants now. I can see that the Zimmer frame is going to become a theme of this episode. There wasn't one I was expecting, if I'll be absolutely honest. Well, I, all right. I'll, I'm, I'll try not to be too hung up on about it. I'll, I won't mention it. You can mention it as much as you like. It's just uh, it's just fascinating to me that, that that's what your mind has been caught on. But, I mean, it's, don't, don't take it as a critique. No, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's fine, we'll talk about the sun. <laughs> <laughs> the prodigal sun. Well, I mean, what I find really interesting about Dilbo is the transformative nature of him as a person and as a character. Oh, yeah. So he had these these phases that were defining of him, but also defining of the eras he was in. Early 1960s, he was a protest singer. And he had songs like Blowing in the Wind, The Times They Are Changing... Give me back my pork pie, Mr. Johnson. That one really hit home for me in particular. Yeah, we've discussed on a previous episode, you're a big fan of the pork pie. Love, love everything do, about yeah. the shape, the taste. The, it just is <laughs> That weird jelly. It's an aesthetic marvel, the pork oh, pie. I don't know, I'm not such a fan. What other protest songs was he famous for? Well, early on in his career, at a very young age, there was one in particular that uh, really caught the public imagination, particularly with the youth. Uh, and that was, can I have my ball back, please? Yes, that was something that a lot of young people could relate to. That's right. And it was it was quite a meek start. It was just, can I have my ball back, please? But as the song kind of progressed, because it was a really bad neighbour who was just kind of saying back to him. It was a duet that he did with Joan Baez, actually. And Joan Baez was playing the neighbour. Mm. And she'd sing back, no, you've already kicked it in here three times today. And... As which, which is a fair point. Like, as I think, as a young man, I really empathised with the the Dylan character in the story. But as I grow older, as I mature, <laughs> I start to see Byers's point of view as the neighbour, and I think that really is the beauty, the grace, mm. the wonder of that song is that actually it's multi-layered. Absolutely. But as the song progresses, he gets a little bit more agitated. It's just like, give me my ball back. He's like, no, please, no, can I have? Yeah, and quite demanding and aggressive. And I think I know what you're about to say next, which was this was indicative of the turn that the civil rights movement was making in the early 60s. Absolutely, that's right. It was very indicative of that. And, you know, in the song, he gets the ball back, which is just kind of essentially a way of saying that we can do this. This is something that we can achieve if we all pull together. Yeah, through through the means of peaceful protest and passive-aggressive demonstrations, all summed up nicely in a story about a ball. Going into a neighbour's garden. Yeah. Were you... Did you have this problem with your neighbours when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yeah, I, quite frequently we'd uh, have that issue of, of kicking a, a ball in, in a garden and then having to go ask for it back. 
which is probably why I'm particularly fond of that song. But I think what my neighbours particularly took umbrage with is maybe not that it was the same ball kicked over a few times over the course of a day. Mm. I think maybe it was the fact that it was several different balls that I was kicking over within a short space of time. You know, like footballs, rugby balls, cricket balls, beach balls. Wow, okay. And, I mean, that was just the games that we played as as kids, just to see if we could smash any windows. Oh, so this was like a deliberate thing. It wasn't, oh, the ball's accidentally gone into Mrs. Jenkins' back garden. Oh, no, no, no. It was a deliberate attempt to, to get the balls in their garden. So, and sometimes if you hit a window, like I said, it'd be extra points. That's extra points. Okay, well, that's a good system, actually, yeah. Basically, what we had was there was three houses, right? There was me, I was on the right. In the middle, it was my neighbour who had the balls kicked into their garden. And on the other side uh, was my mate Timmy. And what we would do is we would both be in our gardens. You and Timmy. Yeah, I'd be in my garden, Timmy would be in his garden. The neighbour's garden was in the middle of both of us. Mrs Jenkins, yeah. Mrs Jenkins. And what we would do is we'd be like, okay, on your marks, get set, go. And then we'd start throwing and kicking these balls into this garden. And we had about the same amount of, of balls that we kind of hurled in there. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of balls. That's a lot. It is a lot. Hundreds and hundreds. So I mean, I suppose until some of them ended up in her garden, your back garden must have been like an old-fashioned ball pool, like you would have got a children's activity centre. Well, it started off that way, yeah, but by the end of the game, it was looking all right. And so what you had to do was you had to throw these balls into the garden, and then when you got down to the last one, you'd run out through the back garden, cross the front porch go to the neighbour's house, knock on the door, and the first one to say, can I have my ball back, please, Mrs Jenkins, they won. Right, OK. It's a good game. So so what's the if the winner is the person who knocks first, then what's the point of the point... Uh, what's the purpose of the points system? What points system? Well, you mentioned before you get more <clears throat> points if you break a window. Yeah, yeah that's, that's just all part of the fun, isn't it? It's just... Is it a little bit like Quidditch, where the points don't really mean anything as long as you get the golden snitch? Pretty much, yeah. It's just like the thrill of the chase, I guess. Seeing and... Mrs Jenkins' bright red, livid face, oh. that's, that's catching the golden snitch. I tell you, during summer holidays, when we play that every day, I mean, I think we tormented the poor woman. Didn't you once tell me that when you were a child, your neighbour had a stroke, a brain aneurysm, a heart attack, and a bowel movement all at the same time? Oh, yeah, that was Mrs Jenkins. That was Mrs Jenkins, okay. Was it anything to do with this game, was it? I wouldn't like to think so. That wouldn't look very good on me. No, (laughs) wouldn't, would it? Oh, that would be something for your conscience to be wrestling with, wouldn't it? Mm. But like I say, I'm sure it's nothing to do with the game. Childhood hijinks. That's right. Well, it sounds like a great game. Do you have a name for it? We just used to call it Piss Off Mrs Jenkins. <laughs> Very appropriate name, I feel, yeah. You really you hit the nail on the head with that name. Hmm. In the mid-60s, he cast all of that aside. He had this folk roots protest movement character and following, and he cast it all aside and he went electric. Hmm. Unleashing the furious like a rolling stone upon the world, out of nowhere. That's right. I've, I've still not forgiven him for going electric. <laughs> I met some. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember in our media studies class, there was that girl called. <laughs> she had never forgiven Bob Dylan for going electric. I know. I, which I found I astounding. It's like, haven't you heard Desire? Have you not heard Blood on the Tracks? 
it's like all of his best music when he realised that it was an electric guitar just about. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is great, this. Lovely, lovely instrument, this. When he found out that you could plug instruments in and amplify them and change the sound a bit, I mean, it just, it must have blown his mind. Oh, revelation. Yeah. When he was just there, like, in a, in a recording studio, just kind of, like, playing along on his acoustic guitar, and he was just saying to the, the sound engineers... Oh, can you make this a bit uh, a bit louder, please? He's playing. He's trying to play over this drummer. Yeah, who's going mental. He stood behind the drummer. It's just like they can't hear the guitar, and the, and the sound engineers are just like, yeah, well, you want to get get in front of it, like near closest to the mic. It was absolute shambles, and he he just went out and took a, a fag break, and he was talking to this other musician, and he was explaining his problem to him, and the the guy he was talking to was just like, well, have you tried like? Plugging your, your guitar in to anything. And he was like, what? What do you mean, plug it in? Pl- plug it in what? It's, it's, it's this not isn't a, a toaster. Ke- <laughs> this isn't a kettle. <laughs> Plugging it in? What are you talking about? And he's just like, look, look, honestly, look, check this out. And he takes him into another room, shows him a Fender Stratocaster. and Is that a type of toaster? That That is a type of guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Would you say it was called a, a friendly... A, fr- a friendly Stratomaster. Friendly Stratovarius. Okay, yeah. And he's holding it, and then Dylan just looks at it and goes, that's a, that's a very thin guitar. I'm not going to get any noise out of that. No, no sound hole, nothing. No. And then gets a wire, like plugs it into a hole. It's just like, oh, is that the sound hole? He's like, no, watch this. Turns on the amp. It's like, just like that scene in Back to the Future. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Bob Dylan flies backwards into a pile <laughs> yeah. of rubbish. And so he, he's like lying back there after being blown away by this amp and he's just dumbfounded. It's just like, where did you get this from? Just, Mate, how have you not seen these before? There's like <laughs> hundreds of them. There's like been... I mean, rock and roll, you missed all of that, did you? But he, well, he, he was from Minnesota. Yeah, and all he knew was folk. Yeah, he had no idea. Now it's a queer as folk. Oh, that's say. what they used to say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, then he took the guitar from the guy. Robbed him. Robbed Presumably. him, yeah, robbed him there and then. A young aspiring folk musician can't afford electric instruments. Exactly, exactly. And he goes back into the, the recording studio and he's like, guys, I think I've got it. Shows them the guitar and they were like... Starts playing Sunshine of Your Love. <laughs> yeah. and like, Jesus, what's this? <laughs> and yeah, then they, they recorded all of Highway 61 Revisited there and then on the spot. Wow, yeah. Which for years I always used to call Highway 69. Any particular reason? You just thought it was a funny joke? Well, it was a funny number, but I, I just literally just kind of always confused it as being that. It's like I always get Miracle on 34th Street wrong. I'm not even sure I've got that right. Yeah, Miracle on 34th Street. Okay, I think I used to call it Miracle on 69th Street. Must be something about that number. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What, what is it about that number? <laughs> I don't know. It's strange. Uh... George Orwell book I always used to read, 1969. <laughs> is that De La Soul song? 69 is the magic number? Oh, yeah, that's a classic, that one, yeah. But, I mean, like, even in maths class, like, every answer to any question they'd ask is, like, 69. It's like, James, I asked you what 10 times 10 was. Just 69. I can't help it if I confuse every other number with that number. Mm. Is that what you had to see a therapist for the last four years of school? The last 69 years of school. Sorry. <laughs> I'd say I, I'm guessing they didn't fix you then. What do you call fixed? Well, I suppose a basic <laughs> grasp of numbers. Oh, right, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Uh, you were broken at a young age. That's the benefit, I guess, of 
doing a podcast with somebody that you've known a very long time is you can dig up all this dirt on them and record it and then put it on the internet. Yeah, and humiliate them. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm just glad that you waited till our 69th episode to, to do that. So, Dylan went electric. He did, yeah. When uh, have you gone electric? Yeah, you got over in this day and age. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't made the leap yet myself. I'm still hand cranking my car. I've still got like a a fire pit in the middle of my kitchen. That's where I do most of my cooking, as you saw earlier when you came over. I've still my alarm clock is still powered by a potato. Jesus, how do you edit the podcast? Well, I don't edit them. I thought you edited them. Well, sometimes I do, but... What, you mean you you don't do some of them? There's some that you don't do, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't I do not do all of them. It's, it's, I, I always thought it was about a 50-50 split. What, like taking them in turns? Well, I, I mean, I haven't done any of them. What? Who's been doing... Who's been editing them? When we finish recording... Yeah. I sent... Oh, hang on. So, I mean, we've got the analogue tape reel here. Yeah. Which is powered by this foot pump, which you can... Hear me using. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So after that... I'm always I... knackered after a recording session. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've got the foot pump. I've got the hamster wheel. <laughs> I think you. I think I drew the short straw, personally. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So I guess after we finish, I just uh, I just send them off to the internet. I just pop them in an envelope right. on the original magnetic tapes, the yeah. reels. Uh, and I just, you know, I just put a large postage stamp on it. Yeah, right, the and, internet. And just write it to, yeah. Well, it's it's... Ask Jeeves, and then his that's his name, mm. his Jeeves. I remember that from when we had computers in primary school. Yeah. And then I just for the address, I just put uh, the internet, Silicon Valley, California, uh, the world. And mm. then sometimes I post them to Santa, just in case. Oh, yeah. Like, if I'm sending a letter to him anyway, yeah. which I do every month or so, um, just to stay in touch. Yeah, Sometimes oh, yeah. I might send one to him in case he wants to hear it. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be rude not to, really, wouldn't it? You haven't just to kind of talk to him at the only time of year where you're expecting something in return. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd recommend going electric? Yeah, well, I mean, complete opposite to you. I'm completely electric, you know? I, I wake up out of my electric bed. Ooh, what's that like? Is it like Wallace from Wallace and Gromit's bed where it kind of flips you up down a little chute? In the morning? Yeah, pr- yeah, that's right, yeah. And it's all powered by electricity, so okay. it all kind of, like, push me out. I fall down, uh, have electric socks put on my feet. Ooh. Keeps them nice and toasty and warm. Yeah, I suppose it day. does, yeah. My electric string vest, which is literally just kind of wires. Right, yeah. Copper wiring, so it's quite hot. Yeah, I bet. I bet, uh, I bet it looks great, though. Oh, yeah, I got when I take it off uh, at night, it's a lovely, like, mesh tattoo yeah. that I have on my skin. Then I have a, a drink of electric coffee from an electric mug. You're really living quite a futuristic lifestyle, aren't I you? I am living the electric dream. <laughs> I mean, even my body I've kind of replaced with some wiring. And just out of interest, do you happen to dream of electric sheep? Yeah, I always dream of electric sheep, uh, very much like androids would. Mm. How much of your body has been replaced by an electronic component? Um, well, maybe I lie a little bit. I'm not 100% electric. There is still... Uh, some of me that is human uh my fingernails for instance yeah um my toenails yeah and uh my left eye oh that's your seeing eye isn't it as opposed to your analytical eye mm. you've got you've also got one flesh ear haven't you that's right yeah one flesh ear one synthetic ear yeah 
Well, the synthetic one looks better, if anything. I always hated your ears. Yeah, I've I've never been fond of them either. I'm I'm just saving up uh, to get the other one fixed. Saving up a few electro chips. That's right. Mm. But you know, unlike us, who it appears are very willing to embrace someone going electric, the audience when Dylan played were were not amused at all at Newport. Well done for bringing us back on track to Bob Dylan. That's very <laughs> well done, I will say. That's the mark of a true professional there. Yes, it is, of course. It is. <laughs> Newport, this was the Newport Folk Festival, wasn't it? In somewhere in America, New York State, was it? Oh, I thought it was Newport Gwent. I don't think it was Newport Gwent in Wales. I could say that. <laughs> I don't think I don't think the civil rights movement had made it that far, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think it has yet, has it? <laughs> Maybe not, I don't know. But yeah, so he um, decided to play it was a, a short set as i recall so he was expected to come out and play blowing in the wind times they are changing uh in his usual kind of hobo country boy kind of attire and he came out dressed in fully in black with sunglasses on mm. this kind of sneer with this band of people dressed identically yeah. and roared into like a rolling stone for six minutes yeah and was booed it's probably why it's quite a short set I don't think it was very well received. It's funny to think now when, when he jumped into that, which is, I think, still his best charting song, like a Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah. How uh, much people hated the fact that he had gone electric. But I think what really annoyed people, and I, I think it was partly devilment on his part, he saw how much everyone hated that he'd gone electric. And he's like, I'll fucking show you. You guys don't like electric. We'll see if you like this. Wheels out a theremin. Oh, wow. That's a very electric instrument. There's a five-minute theremin solo partway through his rendition of Like a Rolling Stone. I mean, I'm, it's a good thing, really, that it wasn't used in the actual recording, but the bootlegs of that are just incredible. I mean, that is literally a purely electronic instrument. Mm. They must have hated that. Oh, they hated it. I mean, Those bastards didn't know what was coming. You should call the bootlegs of it bootlegs. Because you can almost not hear the music over you the just, booing. You can just hear a faint theremin going... <laughs> and then just and boo. the boo over it, yeah. Just to, can we recreate that? You, I'll do the theremin yeah. and you do the booing, okay? So... Boo! Rubbish! Boo! Plane blowing in the wind! Boo! Perfect, yeah. Yeah, and like you can hear a few people in the recording yelling at him to unplug it. And he was just like... It's an electric instrument. You won't be able to hear it, it if work. I unplug it. And they're, they're like, we don't care. We don't want wires. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> but, you know... I that... mean, little did they know that a mere five years later, every single song in the US pop charts will be dominated by the pheromone. Exactly. I mean, you name, for me, a single top 40 hit from the 1970s as a decade that didn't feature the pheromone as a lead instrument. Name one. I can't. Neither can I. <laughs> I'm not sure there was one. And that's, of course, how he got the nickname uh, Theramimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
a few years off, does he? Out of the public eye, at least. Yeah, I think he spent some time in, in Bognor, Bognor Regis. Which is where a lot of celebrities and folk rock and roll mainstays go to recuperate, isn't it? That's right, yeah. It's, it's what it's famous for, Bognor Regis, you know. Just just to just to get away from it all. Well, you've got that lovely sea air. Mm. That's going to be really helping for any mo- motorcycle wounds that you've got. That's right, yeah. Because if I remember correctly, the wheel of the motorbike went through his belly button and kind of came out the other side. Yeah, it was. It was the, the footage of it is like really nasty. I I don't even I don't even know how he's still walking to be honest. No, neither do I. He could have ended up like that character from Disney's Ducktales, Gizmo Duck, that had a, a wheel instead of legs. I don't remember. No, okay. <laughs> Forget about that. <laughs> uh, don't don't worry about it. He went electric. Gizmo duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose he would if he's constantly on his on his wheel, like because if he had pedals or something like that, they would just tire him out through a day. So yeah. I guess he would have had to have gone electric. So as well as spending some time in Bogner. He recorded the famous basement tapes with the band, mm. which weren't released for another nine years, I think, until 1975. It was a feral while. And what else did he do when he had this period of time outside of the public eye? Well, he, he became a real Bognorite while he was there. Is this another trip to Bogner? Oh, no. The second he, one? Or the... No, he stayed. He, he just sta- stayed? He, oh, he uh, lived there? He lived there for a, for a long old time. People don't really realise. And this, was this in the celebrity sanatorium they have there, or is this a different place? He got his own apartment. He was there for a while, and then he got to know the locals, and he just fell in love with the place. You know, as we all do when we visit Bognor. Absolutely. But he was in a position where he could he could actually live there. Got a lovely little place on the seafront. That's right. Yeah, had a, a stand where he'd sell jelly deals. Jelly deals, and he'd also he'd also. Sing you a song for a tuppence. Most of the songs were about jelly deals, hmm. which wasn't great. No, that's right. As, as far as rock historians have reported back. But yeah, I mean, by all accounts, he had a nice little life for himself there. Found someone he, he fell in love with, like had a, a nice house, and he had, of course, the jelly deal stand. But he kind of left the life abruptly when he was getting a bit bored of the jelly deals and he thought it's amazing to think that anybody could ever get bored of jelly deals i know but i mean that's just like the temperament of an artist i guess he had enough and he was like i want i want to do something different and he introduced electric eels to his stand so it's the same thing with the music he's gone electric but yeah. he's done that with his jelly deals stand the man's obsessed he was just like how about some electric eels he was giving people cups of electric eel and they're like what the fuck's this so like, i try it People were stinging themselves on their oh, mouth and tongue. That's got to be painful. Yeah, and they were just like, we've had enough. Just like, and go jelly and... is famously a great conductor of electricity. Absolutely, that's right. And so you had all these people like shouting at him from his from his stall, Judas, Judas, go back, go back before you were electric. And he was and like, he's like, I don't believe you. And then he was saying to the person in in the the kiosk with him, serve him loud. And then he was just like throwing all these eels out at these people, stinging them. And the the king of Bogner. Oh, is there a king? I didn't realise it was a sovereignty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a sovereignty. Yeah, the the king of Bogner, he'd had enough. He was just like, right, you were doing a good job here, but we can't stand it anymore. We want normal eels, not electric eels. Which is a fair request, I would say. I think it's a very Once fair... Once you've been stung a couple of times on the tongue, oh, you don't want to have another one. Well, you can't eat them. 
and that's the point of an eel stand. They're basically an edible, aren't they? <laughs> you can't, you can't... Especially if they're still alive, like his were. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, for the electricity. And so Dylan was like, all right, I guess I'll go back to being a voice of a generation and a musician. I mean, it's not a bad life, is it? But I think, and this is reflected in his later work, you really can pick up on that tinge of regret he had about having to be having to leave Bogner. Hmm. He was exiled and I don't think he ever got over that. No, you can you can hear that twinge of melancholy in all of his future work. Which brings us nicely to the next chapter for me in Bob Dylan's life, which was the late 70s hmm. when he became a born again Christian. Yes, he did. So going from this young upstart who challenged authority was a spearhead of this movement that was turning us back on traditionalist, conservative American values to become a born-again Christian within the space of about 15 years. It's quite an astounding change. It's a transformation. Definitely. What I find strange, though, of all of it, is how he kind of became a Christian. I don't know so many details about this, so yeah, elucidate. So he was he was playing a show, a live gig... This is after he'd come back from Bogner, of course. Yeah. He was in the States again. And somebody threw up a, a silver cross. I don't literally mean they th- threw up, like they vomited a silver cross, but they threw out a silver cross up to the to the stage. And you mean a cross as in like a little crucifix, not like famed comedian David Cross from Arrested Development? No, no he, wasn't, he, wasn't he wasn't there. there. He wasn't okay. at the gig. No. Thank uh, you for clarifying. That's all right. And so a silver Christian cross that you might wear around your neck. And he threw it up on stage... And in in his words, he said, now, usually I don't pick things up in front of the stage. Once in a while I do. Sometimes I don't. But I looked down at the cross and I said, I got to pick that up. And so he kept it in his pocket. And in a a period where he was feeling particularly down, he was thinking that he needs... Missing Bogner, no doubt. Missing Bogner, of course. He was thinking that he needs something, something different. And he put put his hand in his pocket... And saw the silver cross. Is that true? And that is that's actually found, true. That's how he found God. He yeah. was in his pocket all the time. Now, I wonder, because he was quite desperate around that time. Yeah. If that person had, say, thrown on the stage um, a swastika or maybe a McDonald's logo. Or a croissant. Or a croissant. He could have become French. Yeah, I mean, like, how influenceable was he during that period? I mean, what could you have... Th- feasibly thrown on stage and got him doing i suppose you could have feasibly thrown mostly anything imagine if someone had thrown up three juggling balls and he'd caught them and started (laughs) doing that he could have joined a circus (laughs) that would have been incredible just like (laughs) he had no idea he could juggle but he was just like (laughs) he was in me the whole time babe (laughs) (laughs) i mean his live shows would have been fantastic after that he's just there he's got he's got one hand and he's playing the piano and doing blown in the wind and the other hand he's juggling flaming clubs <laughs> yeah the only problem and the harmonica's going yeah the only problem with that would be that at any gig that he went to in the future you just have a bunch of people in the front row with balls just like getting ready so i bet he catches them <laughs> well, have you seen this have you seen yeah. this it's incredible he catches them it's like about 15 people throwing balls over his before own. you know it he's juggling 25 in the air <laughs> yeah. no more no more <laughs> Throw the clubs! Uh, Robbie Robertson's doing all the legwork on the guitar now. (laughs) It would have been a sight to behold, but it wouldn't have done his music career any good. No, but what a showman. Oh, yeah, yeah, it would have been incredible. 
Do you think he could have caught them in that lovely hat he wears? Yeah, it's, it's quite a big hat. I reckon he could have caught it in there and then threw the hat up in the air. Good fun. Good fun. That's good clean fun, that. It is, yeah, a very much in keeping with his good, clean Christian values at this point, you could say. And interestingly, going back to him being a born-again Christian, hmm. he took it very literally when he decided to be born again. I think for him, the symbology of it, and this probably goes back to that cross and the symbology of that cross, that crucifix, yeah. the symbology of it was very important to him. And he's never been a man to do things by half measures, you know. Hmm. Apart from when he went electric and he did half the album electric and half the album acoustic. But other than yeah. that, he yeah. doesn't do things by half <laughs> measures. Apart from that completely literal example. <laughs> so he he was figuratively and literally born again. So his roadies had to construct this gigantic womb, you might say, for him. Oh, wow. Uh, and they were out on the road. As, as you said, it was during a show that he found God. So it was quite difficult for them to, to do it. They basically utilized a lot of the a lot of the stuff you would m- maybe see on TV's get your own back yeah. that you'd find in the gunge tank that kind of like cornflour and food dye and water gunge so they built this kind of womb uh, for him out, the, out of the back in the back of the tour bus in his little section nice. and then he he was he burst out of it and uh, that was his way of being born again and uh, you know there were only it was very close personal Ceremony. There were only about eight to ten journalists, yeah. as well as obviously the roadies. There were about fifteen of them. Yeah. Tour, you... tour manager, A and R man. Yeah. Well, you want to keep it familiar. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a very intimate affair, and for him, I think it really solidified his relationship with God. Absolutely. And after that, with him being more open about his Christianity and and his being born again, he was loving it, and he wanted to be born again. Every single night. And so that's how he'd enter the stage before a gig. There'd be on the stage a giant vagina that he would push himself out of, like completely naked. And he, I maybe got the idea for that from the Rolling Stones for when they used to come out of the giant lips, except these lips were kind of turned <laughs> on their side, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. So I think he might have even borrowed them from the same tour manager just to save money, basically. Just yeah, like, oh, they well. share the lips. So they, they took those lips, and so he'd enter the stage for every gig like that. Like I say, completely naked, covered in gunk, and then he'd come out and then he'd start singing. Burst through, and uh, he, and of course he uh, bursts out and it opens the show with, it's the right, Ma, I'm only bleeding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which is a beautiful opener. <laughs> to say that was a pun but i stumbled into that one you're not taking the credit for that i'm not no no i think i think the evidence is there that i that was not planned (laughs) (laughs) well i think that brings us to the end of our most chronologically consistent episode ever on Bob Dylan. Yeah. So I guess that's everything. Thank you for listening. No problem at all. Thank you for... You're a very good listener as well, I'll say. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think we get enough credit for 
are listening. I mean, we, we both do this podcast, you know, we've been going a while now, and we get a lot of credit for our talking, but never our listening. It's a crying shame. You're one of the best listeners I know. Oh, well, right back at you. See how we just listened to what each other said and responded. Yeah. So the people who are listening to this, take something from that. And we can listen to you if you have anything to say about the podcast. You can contact us by email, mailboxrogesgallery at gmail.com. You can catch us on Twitter at Mailbox Rogues. Yeah, you can get us on Facebook at Mailbox Rogues Gallery. And you can listen to uh... us. Uh, see what I did? There? Little callback. You can listen to us on YouTube, Podbean, and iTunes. And if you're on iTunes and you happen to enjoy the episode, then why not leave us a rating and a review? I'll tell you why. Because it all helps to make the podcast more popular for us. Not just for us, for everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's what the world wants at the end of the day. Us to succeed. <laughs> I've always felt that in my bones. <laughs> yeah. Destined for greatness. Mm. They, I, obviously, we've chosen the best medium for that. Definitely. Not an oversaturated medium at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, with that, from one trailblazer, Bob Dylan, to us, two trailblazers, I guess that about wraps it up. I've been Birch. I've been Sean. Toodles. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.